Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, where we give you insights into the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Each episode will feature a new guest who will stimulate your mind and give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into human possibility. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the podcast. My name is Taylor Kreis. I am the executive producer of the Psychology Podcast, and today I'm, I'm psyched to be guest interviewing my friend and just, just a really interesting guy, Mr. Jared Kleinhart. Now, Jared, in his ripe old age of 21, has crafted a pretty stellar resume for himself. I'll read a little bit to you now. Jared is an entrepreneur, a TED and keynote speaker and an award-winning author who's been named USA Today's Most Connected Millennial. His first book, Two Billion Under 20, was voted the number one entrepreneurship book of 2015, and his new book, Three Billion Under 30, explores how top uh, top performers in the millennial generation have achieved exponential success and impact in record time. He's been featured by almost every major media outlet, including Mashable, Fox, ABC, Washington Post, Forbes, Fortune, Fast Company, and others, and the United Nations has named him a champion for humanity. I'll give that a second to sink in. <laughs> and I've been on the podcast before, so uh, I was I was on with you know Scott was interviewing me last time. Uh, that was a really funny episode. I think we were talking about naked rabbis or something like that <laughs> so maybe you have to give a link to that past episode but uh you and i we we jam well together so thanks for uh thanks for having me on again most definitely dude this is our pleasure i just gave that episode a re-listen by the way before this one and i was cracking up the whole time sitting on uh philadelphia septa transit cracking up everybody 
probably thought I was a little nutty, but I was having a good time. <laughs> I don't even know if we spoke about anything substantial. I think we just made jokes the entire time. But uh, hopefully I can I can balance a little more this time with you know super practical info, but also some uh, amazing story. Uh, yeah, man, let's dive into it. I, you know, first of all, I just got to say, like, good on you for accomplishing a fair amount having just reached the age to be able to drink a beer. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, it's astounding. And, and your new book details some similar stories of all of these just impactful individuals who are doing wonderful things on an exponential level all under the age of 30, yeah? About uh, 30, 32. Uh, <laughs> we, we snuck a few old people in there. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's just been a super humbling journey. Uh, you know, I've spent probably the last four years identifying, befriending, and sharing the stories of top performers in the millennial generation. And I hate to use the word millennial, but I only want to use it for the sake of stereotyping by age in the conversation. You know, I think if you want to stereotype anything else, we can stereotype better. But, uh, you know, it's just been humbling to bring together everyone ranging from the founder of WordPress to two-time defending fittest woman in the world, Katrine Davis-Doder, to a Syrian war refugee, uh, and all the different stories and uh, ideas in between from all these different cultures. Uh, it's just been a very humbling experience. But it's also, you know, I, I think this book is a lot better than $2 billion under 20. You know, we just really focused on making a world-class product uh, yeah, with... The, f- the first book, everyone was 20 and under at time of sharing their stories, and they were still Olympians and still singers and actors and scientists, but with the extra you know, up to 10 years in living and building careers and having impact in the world, there's just all these different storylines that are covered. You know, we've, we have parents in this book. We have people who are married. We have people that have gone through a new election cycle, people that have you know been victims of a, of a, or survivors of a civil war. Uh, so just all these more relevant uh, things that have been going on. And you know, I'm, I'm just really excited to share the, the research with it, you know, all the inspiring stories, the practical takeaways from the info, uh, all in, in one fancy schmancy book. Uh, we're excited to hear about it, man. I got the, the reader edition beforehand, which made me feel very special. Thank you for sending you that over. You are special. Oh, you're sweet. <laughs> we like you. We like you, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things about the format of it is that at any moment, if I just need a little kick in the pants or some form of inspiration, I can just open to a random page and get some incredible story of some of the wonderful things that millennials are up to nowadays, which... It's a great thing, I think, for me to get to interview you right now. At any moment, I can always just say, like, hey, Jared, tell me something really incredible. Like, go. <laughs> but, Was some, that some... a prompt? Was that... <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's, yeah, let's run with that. How about a prompt? Have you got, like, maybe one or two of your favorites? I, you know, you just mentioned a few about some wonderful athletic achievements and, uh, and technological, but what's one that really resonates with you or you think might resonate with the audience? Uh, so if you want to talk about like positive psychology and, and things like having gratitude and sort of going after your goals in life from a place of uh, positivity, I think uh, the, the last story in the book is my favorite in that lens. Uh, and it comes from a, a Syrian war refugee. You know, I keep referencing that. 
vignette. Uh, but Aziz Diab was uh, in Syria growing up, and all his life he wanted to go to Germany to study at university, and he also wanted to study mechatronics in order to you know, work in aeronautics and in that world. And throughout his K through 12 education, as we would know it here in university, uh, he kept getting stalled by different parts of the war. Uh, he eventually went to Aleppo for probably like three to six months to study. That got stopped because the war moved there uh, and he had to leave his family behind uh, and leave the town and the country in very Holocaust-like situations, you know, meaning uh, being packed into a truck with, you know, 50 other people with a tiny uh, hole to breathe in at the top. And then after that, you know, going on to a, a barely inflated raft to get, you know, to cross a sea uh, and then going through multiple countries, uh, eventually making it to Germany. That's where he is now, and he's a, a refugee there. Uh, and because of his goal earlier in life, he'd actually started studying the German language. And now he's, uh, he's one of the people who translates between other Syrian war refugees and the German community there. He's studying in university. He just got into... Uh, a pretty prestigious school there and is studying mechatronics. Uh, but his piece in the book, uh, the book is broken down into five parts, start, risk, journey, learn, and succeed, mm -hmm. which I would say are, are five steps to finding and acting on your passions in life. You know, his story, which is the very last in the succeed chapter and, and the book, therefore, uh, is just like if you're breathing, you're successful. You know, like if you're alive, you're successful. You know, he... Uh, he had to see a lot of death and horror and tragedy, even a you know a soldier shooting his guitar uh, and like Whoa. saying there's no music allowed here uh, before he left town. So uh, yeah, that that just kind of puts it in perspective when you're done reading all these stories and kind of going through the ups and downs of everyone's journeys. And he comes out and he's like, you know what? If you're breathing, you're successful. Uh, I think that's just a really amazing way to end the book and also uh, a great place to come from. You know, really the, the obstacles we face on a daily basis are not that bad compared to uh, what some others are going through. And even those people find a way to be grateful for certain things in their life and, and find a way to contribute and, and have meaning in what they're doing. So I think we should all be doing the same to the best of our ability. Well put. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, I, I almost tear up every time I email the dude. <laughs> Understandable. I have a friend who's a mindfulness expert by the name of Corey Mascara, who's actually going to be on the show pretty soon. But he'll start off a lot of his guided meditations just by saying, pay attention to your breathing. And when you stop to appreciate that, just that you're breathing, there's probably a lot more that's right with you than wrong with you. I think you're so right. We, we joke about first world problems nowadays and get so anxious and, and, and upset to the point of depression over, you know, we didn't get that absolute number one maximized new job that we wanted or, you know, the, the best new iPhone. And it, it all sounds a little silly if you stop to just think about some of the experiences that people have encountered in human history. And it, it, it draws you back to just a place of appreciation and thankfulness for 
we're sitting here right now having this conversation, man. It's like it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah, and and another story that comes to mind as far as the the practical application of mindfulness and that sort of stuff is of Katrine Davis-Stoder, who's the two-time fittest woman in the world, uh, winner of the, the CrossFit Games, which is what gives her that title. And wow. she grew up uh, trying out multiple sports. She was a big gymnast, uh, soccer player, but she never really found her athletic calling until she tried CrossFit. Yeah. And she grew up in Iceland, where the sport is huge, and kind of their original hero... Uh, who's now her current training partner is like Annie Thorisoder, who had won the games uh, a few times. And, you know, Katrine starts practicing CrossFit. Within a year or two of getting into the sport, she already was making regionals for CrossFit, which is sort of the competition before the, the big games that happens in California every year. And she, uh, training for that regional event, she was crushing it on all these different uh, parts of the sport because there's all these different exercises you have to do, and like that, it's a compilation of your scores and all that that allows you to rank and move forward. Right. Uh, there was this like rope climb that she kept dreading because she wasn't that great at it, and so she built it up in her mind that uh, she was fearful of this rope climb and and whatnot. And turns out when she gets into regionals that year, probably in like 2013 or 2014, she uh, got on the rope climb, got one of them done out of maybe six or seven, and then completely broke down mm. and w like was leading the pack. And she just starts crying <laughs> in the middle of her, her uh, competition and could not regain composure. And she ended up not making it to the, to the national or international stage. And uh, you know after that, kind of mental breakdown she had it in her mind that she was going to really invest in not only becoming the best athlete but also conquering her own mental gym and so she you know brought on a coach she really worked on affirmations and uh looking you know ahead into the future and kind of picturing what it would be like to be successful you know, a lot of the stuff that you guys you know teach at Penn I would imagine and the next two years she was you know, she won not only regionals, but also the international competition. So it just goes to show you, you know, what the power of that sort of mindfulness is. You know, it could take you from, uh, if you're an athlete, you know, your, your regional, your local level to potentially winning a championship at the highest level of your sport. Uh, maybe in business, it might allow you to add a zero or two zeros behind the value of your company or the, the paycheck you're getting. Uh, it, it might allow you to survive a, a terrible you know, experience like a civil war or uh, there's people in the book who have been survivors of rape and sexual assault and cancer. Uh, but yeah, I think Katrine's story is really interesting about that mental toughness and how she really applied that that mindfulness to her everyday practice. You, you know, the thing that popped up, I think, most often, just the way that I was reading the book, was just the use of strengths, human virtues, that which is best in us, kindness, creativity, persistence. You know, every one of these people is, is really a paragon on some level and a demonstration of something amazing that humans can do. And in that way, it's, it's incredibly inspiring. It, it motivated me to, like, get out and do some things I've been fearing myself. Uh, like what? 
<laughs> so I forget I'm her curious. name. Uh, yes, you know, public speaking, and it's very funny that we're actually kind of doing this right now, I guess, is always something that absolutely terrified me. And uh, I know that's actually fairly common. I think public speaking from some surveys has been shown to be right up there with some of the more horrifying things that you can think of. Like, I wish I could remember something else on the list, but they're akin to like, like getting height. attacked by a shark. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, like height being yeah, another big one. Yeah, she was... A performer in competitive spelling bees. Yeah? Does this ring a bell? I mean, there's 75 of them. It's hard to remember. Oh, Erica Lee. And there we go. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but listening to the way that she was able to conquer... I mean, she literally had an anxiety attack on the stage, from what I remember. Like, she could barely yeah. breathe, let alone spell the word. The word she, was spasm <laughs> that she it, messed up. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, that's, that seems uh, apt somehow. You know, you read this and it's basically a self-efficacy boost. You see that other people can conquer their fears, that they can achieve incredible things. I found it especially heartening that someone who could reach such a high level experienced that kind of dread and anxiety. Because I think a lot of the time we think people like Richard Branson or Steve Jobs just sort of, I wouldn't say floated through life, obviously they worked very hard, but they were born with some innate talent or some ability that the rest of us mere mortals just don't possess kind of thing. So There's actually a story in the book. Uh, it kicks off one of the, the sections. I believe it's learn or I, th I think it's the learn section where Jack DeLosa is one of the biggest entrepreneurs uh, and thought leaders and uh, coaches for other entrepreneurs in Australia. Uh, he got to go to Necker Island uh, during the same week that Virgin lost uh, one of their pilots in, in like a test exercise or in, in a you know, scheduled launch. And so he got to see Richard Branson at his lowest point and, and having to deal with global press attacking him and calling for resignation or closing the company and all that sort of stuff. And he, that, that was, that's the entirety of his piece in Three billion under thirty, uh, or Jack's piece is that you know these people, these greats in history, are just like us, and a lot of times they, you know, if you study them on a day to day basis, or if you study them from their origins, you know, they still have a lot of the same problems or issues or challenges that we do, uh, and it is really interesting to know that, and know that they aren't these perfect figurines, or they're not to be put on a pedestal. They're just really good at finding their strengths and then acting on that wholeheartedly. Oh yeah, that one stuck out in my mind actually. I remember it was it was, uh, it was just funny to hear that he walked out and found him on the beach like sitting in his board shorts, you know, just looking kind of upset like any other person. If <laughs> you didn't know it was Richard Branson and what yeah, he was Yeah, by himself, through. like staring into the abyss. Yeah, huge self-efficacy boost. Yeah, and I, I think that's you know one of the big things with, with everyone in the book is that they do have this growth mindset about their work and about the impact that they want to have in the world, about what accomplishments they're chasing. Because everyone's chasing something different. You know, I, Someone listening to this might want to become an author themselves or speak publicly and build a career there or run a nonprofit and give it back to a certain cause or have uh, or build a business or you know, do something else, maybe become an entrepreneur. Uh, but a lot of the takeaways in the book, uh, they all stem around 
these 75 outliers and how they've been able to accomplish more in their worlds uh, in in six months or a year or three years uh, than most people in previous generations were able to do in entire lifetimes. And so I think that's the big takeaway from the book. Uh, you know, regardless of your age, regardless of the industry you li- you operate in, you know, this could give you some mindsets to use, some tips as to how to achieve that exponential impact. Yes. And a lot, you know, that could be uh, growth. You know, the the benefits of a growth mindset, you could say, I would like say. what a growth growth mindset can allow you to do. So it, it definitely ties into to a lot of that. I think the books are cornucopia that way. So you just used a term a moment ago that I just I'd never heard before, and I'm sort of fascinated by. What is an intrapreneur? Uh, someone who applies entrepreneurial tendencies to like within another organization. And so, I believe that millennials, if you want to keep stereotyping, uh, I actually I hate staring stereotyping like that, but. Uh, it is shown that like millennials are the most entrepreneurial generation yet, although that isn't necessarily in the form of business ownership or creation. And so these entrepreneurial tendencies uh, a lot of times are taken with someone into another organization. So you're like a you're an entrepreneur within this podcast. And yeah, you're you're one of the people that put it together, but you know, as you're going day to day, like you're applying entrepreneurial tendencies to your work or even in your your studies you know you could possess entrepreneurial ten, uh, tendencies such as you know resourcefulness or future planning or you know risk assessment like all the things that make entrepreneurs great uh if you apply it within another organization i would deem it as as entrepreneurial i love the term i'm gonna add it to my business card i think yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so i'm gonna have trouble with this name right now, but I think I remember a person in particular this all really applies to is Nim Diswart. Yeah, I'm is speaking with her after this call, actually. <laughs> really? Ah, funny, man. Serendipity. Yeah, I remember she she was talking about basically bringing entrepreneurial tendencies into working with uh, several different companies, but Bacardi in particular, yeah? Yep, she's the Global Millennials Manager at Bacardi, uh, and she works directly under the CEO there who's Michael Dolan I believe and her job is twofold uh, internally her job is to better retain and engage millennials and help the company do that across the board uh, and so she's been starting with a, a select group of rising stars within Bacardi uh, where every year they're selecting you know 30 or 40 uh, millennials from across the world who work at Bacardi to be a part of this program and then from there you know she wants to coach them and make them you know amazing entrepreneurs and then have them go back to their markets and provide the same training resources inspiration to their colleagues Uh, so she is on a mission to help Bacardi as an organization better retain and engage their young talent Uh, but then externally she's also working with futurists and working with thought leaders and psychologists and all that to figure out where the market is going you know from an external standpoint where are their customers going to come from in the future what are they going to want what problems are they going to have that Bacardi might be able to help solve uh hopefully through responsible drinking <laughs> but uh, that's her that's her gig it's it's, it's uh 
pretty cool. And I, you know, I purposely chose to include entrepreneurs as well. I didn't just want to have a an entrepreneurial party with all these different founders. I wanted to also showcase people in the corporate world, people in athletics, people in uh, worlds you would never even think existed. Right, yeah. I think that there's some, you know, at least 30 stories that any person can really find that would resonate with them. That one resonated with me in particular. I had mentioned strengths a second ago. She had said something to the effect of that, like, every person kind of has their own secret sauce. And she said that she's got these secret weapons that she likes to apply, which were positivity, patience, persuasion, and authenticity. And as a positive psychology type, that really gets me geeked out. <laughs> I, I Tell was us wondering... about it. <laughs> well, you know, so I actually do some coaching also, and strengths work is, is wonderful just because a lot of us are spending so much time trying to fix what's wrong with us, you know? Like, ah, oh, if I were just better at this, if I were just better at that. But uh, a strengths approach, we move from what's wrong to what's strong. Wow. Uh, yeah, right? Have you trademarked that? <laughs> uh, it might belong to someone. I, maybe I have to pay some royalties out for having said it out loud. <laughs> right. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, you can do you can do so much good work here. And there have been some studies from like Tom Rath and people who do positive organizational scholarship showing that actually coming from a place of strength, like working more on what you're already really good at is oftentimes a better way to be more effective than always trying to fix what's wrong. And it's also, it just feels better. You know, it's exciting to talk about what we're good at and what we value in ourselves and others. A huge thing I really enjoyed about your book and I'd be curious if you picked up on any strengths in particular that seem to be super prevalent with all of these people. Are there maybe some strengths that kick more butt? Yeah, well, I would say the first is curiosity slash creativity. So all these people looked at whatever institutions they had to face you know, whether it was a traditional model of doing business in a certain field uh, or just like, you know, traditional career paths or traditional ways of doing politics or like any sort of institution, traditional way of thinking. And they stepped out of that for a second. Uh, and they didn't like burn the, sh I mean, some of them burned the ships behind them as they were trying out new experiments and stuff. But mm. a lot of them sort of, set up these like low cost or low time intensive ways to test their ideas and their new inventions or new ways of doing business. Uh, and so an example is, you know, WordPress, if we want to keep going back to the ones I originally you know mentioned at the beginning of uh, our chat, you know, they had this way of thinking where they were going to make open sourced software instead of what everyone else was doing, which was closed uh, software. Right. And closed software is like Apple. You know, they are able to control the terms and conditions. If you want to use their uh, stuff, you have to sign away your life uh, <laughs> or whatever the terms and conditions say that none of us read. And you can't duplicate that software. You can't turn around and sell it. You can't rename it. You can't modify it. All that fun stuff. With open source, you can... Uh, by the, by the rules of how open source works, copy something and call it your own. You can sell that new invention. You could modify it, uh, all that fun stuff. And so at a time when all the content management softwares were predominantly closed systems, 
Matt decided to actually build upon a pre-existing open-sourced platform and make it better, call it WordPress, and then exponentiate that. And so that was just a different way of thinking. Uh, I mean, he put a lot of time into it, but on a grand scale of things, it was maybe only three to six months of plugging away behind a screen to test his idea. And you know, some people, uh, there's a Snapchat influencer in the book. Her name is Cyrene Q. She was actually working at Verizon and building her following on Snapchat. So she didn't actually leave what was traditional until she knew that her you know, creative output was uh, working. But all these people found ways to test a new idea and kind of put themselves in a place where they could have exponential rise. Because if you're in the traditional uh, model, like there are probably some outlets or, or ways you can have an exponential uh, rise to success or to impact, but mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot harder than if you reinvent and you create a brand new uh, industry or a brand new way of doing things. And so all these people sort of had the creativity to to step out into the world and try something new. And I would all, I would suggest this to anyone, uh, but do it in a way that's you know a low cost and low time sort of thing so that you can uh, see if it's going to work or not. And if it's not going to work, then be able to replicate that process until you find something that is working. Uh, yeah. So creativity slash curiosity, that's like a big one. Uh, you know, In the middle, I would say, uh, what, what's the one that's closest to collaboration? Is that like a, a social intelligence sort of thing? Uh, yeah, probably social intelligence. There's, I mean, you know, one could argue that there are not infinite, but probably some kind of finite amount, but there, there are many human virtues. The ones that are studied by like the values and action organization, there's 24 of them. But I think, yeah, social intelligence sounds like it would ring uh, most closely to that. Yeah, so I, I want to get towards collaboration. That's kind of where I'm trending. But a lot of, you know, most people in the book and, and kind of the second step, I would say, to having exponential success and impact, uh, the first of which being a step outside the ordinary, you know, system and set yourself up for success. The second is to out-collaborate the competition. And so a lot of the examples that you see in 3 billion under 30 and in this research found ways to collaborate in a world where you know our parents our grandparents were all about uh these capitalistic ideals and really uh kind of getting your own rather than collaborating which i think today and a lot of our peers would agree that you can collaborate and get ahead faster and you know, rather than just get your own uh and so a lot of these people agree and they really applied it whether it's you know social media influencers doing collabs with other social media influencers to grow their following quickly or setting up media platforms that have contributor networks like we have the co-founder of elite daily featured in the book and they were one of the first to have a contributor network or you know mogul does that now which is another media platform geared towards women uh you know there's all these different examples of setting up collaborative environments and actually making that a strength of yours and you know i used it to make this book uh we had probably we had over 100 people like touch this book whether it was someone like me who spent you know a lot of money and a lot of time to make it or a team member of mine who spent maybe less amount of time but still a very big amount of time uh you have the contributors who gave us three to five pages of their own writing and or at the very least topped on a 30-minute interview for us to transcribe their words into their own writing. 
and then you have people like Scott, actually, uh, who I emailed and asked for introductions to the most admirable 20-somethings out there. Uh, and so I had people like Scott, uh, Seth Godin, Tony Shea, James Altucher, uh, all you know, in, in three-second responses point me into the direction of you know, admirable young people I should be identifying. Uh, and so at the end of the day, you had like 100-plus people touch the project, uh, and that makes for a much more powerful and interesting book, I would think, than an author who just sat there by themselves with a computer and didn't bring anyone else into that creative process. Uh, so we're, you know, I, I've been eating my own dog food throughout the whole research process. <laughs> uh, I can, I can dig that. Even going back to the first uh, step, you know, there's a traditional publishing world that I stepped out of. Uh, the first book we did was traditionally published with a big publisher in New York, uh, and then we uh, decided to set up a new company for the launch of this book and did that for a gazillion reasons. It would take me over an hour to just like walk you through the entire thought process. But uh, I made that decision because if it doesn't work uh, for some reason, I can always go back to the traditional publishing world with future books or you know, go to traditional media outlets and try and share a message that way. But if it does work, uh, I'm going to fin- uh, financially incentivize myself over time to share this research further, which is a win for me financially. It's a win for our organization and building an audience. It's a win for our contributors and getting their message out to the world further and getting more readers involved in, in this idea. Um, you know, it's just a win-win-win for everyone. Uh, so that was kind of our you know, step away from a traditional system to even set us up for exponential success. And then you know, we've collab- we've out collaborated our competition uh, by uh, researching the way we have. But I would say those are the first two steps if you want to, you know, have this sort of exponential impact in your own world. I think that's one of the really admirable things about the human species is that we're tribal creatures and we can collaborate to achieve something that's that's greater than any of us could do alone. And there's a lot in the book about how to network in a way that's honest and authentic and and draws kind of like substances together and combines energies and creates forward momentum into creating actual movements that really starts to get work done across the globe. We're we're talking about individuals affecting millions of people across just about every country on the planet, especially given technology and globalization. It's a wonderful thing to behold. Yeah, and for episode number 2173, you know, we're going to be talking about how all the humans work together to fight off aliens and <laughs> that, that Uber collaboration. Amen, sir. <laughs> Hashtag um, joke. Nice. So, you know, I, I have a list of topics here, and we could basically go on forever because it's a joy to talk to you, and there's so much to chat about you know, in terms of research and, and just the wonderful stories in the book. But we're millennials, and we're talking about a lot of wonderful millennials here, but sometimes millennials get a bad rap. There's a lot of talk nowadays about how we are lazy, entitled, that we lack social skills. I could go on. I guess I would ask, what, what are some strengths that you think we can build on? Yeah. What are some things that we could use some work in, you know? So I, that's, that's sort of why I was saying I hate using the word millennial and I only want to stereotype 
by age for that conversation. But when when people are you know bashing millennials, I don't think they're necessarily bashing every single human age eighteen to thirty four. I think they're bashing you know people in that age range, but within a certain industry or within a certain set of life experiences. You know, maybe uh, middle class to affluent young people who have college paid for me, you know, or, uh, or have access to universities in the first place and come from well-to-do families who, uh, aren't performing as their parents or grandparents have yet. You know, maybe that's like a better, you know, stereotype or, uh, segmentation of our age. So that's, I just stopped answering those sort of questions when it comes to like, Oh, millennials are lazy, entitled, narcissistic. You know, that's why I push this research towards more age agnostic and industry agnostic uh, takeaways. But you know, as far as trends that I've seen among at least uh, educated or you know at least like K through twelve educated young people in the leading countries of the world, or you know, in, in uh, first world countries maybe even second world is that uh, and and in third world is like we, we just have a very entrepreneurial kick about us and part of that is because the the world is increasingly unpredictable and in order to survive and to to move further we're going to have to have resourcefulness and sort of us assess risk and all that but that could be applied you know as as an entrepreneur in organizations uh, and can really change how the corporate world works. That could also be applied to how our political system works. That could be applied to our education system and, and really reshaping that. You know, I think our generation has that entrepreneurial kick that's really going to both have to and be forced to solve big pressing problems in society. And so I think that's something we could build on. You know, we also have the ability to leverage technology unlike ever before. Right. Uh, and not only like the ability to do that, which you know, it, like, in fairness to previous generations, we just simply haven't had the tools like we have now. And you know, the generation after us will have tools like we never imagined. So there's always increasing uh, leverage and possibly increasing in exponential fashion historically. Uh, I don't think it'll slow down anytime soon. But it, we also have the awareness of how to use those tools that most generations don't. And so, yeah, you can find a, a 55-year-old senior vice president who knows how to use uh, social media to share messages just like an 18-year-old. But on average, you you probably the younger uh, generations know how to leverage that technology better. And so these are the sort of the things we bring to the, the table when we're talking about how to solve problems, whether it's in a, a job or uh, at home or, or anywhere. Uh, I don't think we should bash older generations either. I think, you know, if you want to talk about the strengths they bring to the table, they bring an amazing uh, adaptability to the table. Like, they've had to reinvent themselves over and over and over and over and over again and learn how to use all these new technological tools that they didn't have 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago when they were really starting to build their personality and skill set and all that. So we got to tip our hat to them to be able to adapt the way they have. Uh, yeah. And totally also, agree. you know, a lot of uh, older generations are really good at, at processes and you know, scaling, you know, scaling different ideas. Uh, because think about all the different institutions we have, uh, these gigantic companies, these amazing schools, 
uh, you know, nonprofits, our government or governments in general, like all these different gigantic systems were really built without the technology we have today. And so to do it in a way that was sustainable and to do it uh, in, in a way that made sense really took some some systems. And so the fact that these you know, older generations were the ones who engineered those systems, uh, I think speaks a lot to their ability to, to scale the good ideas or to, to scale ideas, you know, whether or not you think they're good or bad. And so now you start bringing everyone to the table. You're like, okay, you guys got these this entrepreneurial tendency to kind of look at the world in which we live and find new solutions to problems that maybe the older generations haven't. You have uh, you know, the ability to implement technologies that we haven't thought of leveraging before or creating those technologies. And then you have the people that might be able to scale those new solutions and also uh, help us adapt the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things or push back against maybe too idealistic thinking that sounds good at first but may not work in our current uh, real world. And so... I just think that's a much better way of approaching problems than like, you know, intergenerational bashing as a whole. Like that gets nothing done. Hey, you are a collaborator, aren't you, Jared? That's a, that's a great strength. That's that's my action. big strength. That's like that's my only strength. <laughs> I think you get tons. You're chock full, my friend. Thanks, dude. Um, of course. But no, that's that's definitely my superpower is is bringing together different people and ideas uh, together to accomplish these sort of bigger amplifications for society, these different uh, you know, systems, etc. That's sort of my my go-to. We're grateful for it, to use another strength. Bam. Well, so I, I had at least one more topic I wanted to gloss over, and it's one that is near and dear to my heart. I am especially invested in trying to help college students, uh, younger people deal with an existential crisis that's become prevalent in our modern world. Of all of the stories that I read in your book, it didn't really seem like many of them like, oh, I just sort of accidentally did this incredible thing. You know, I, I don't know, I wasn't that into it. It just sort of happened, blah. They're very passionate about what they're doing. They have an overarching long-term goal that's important to their identity with some contribution they want to make to the world. They have a purpose. They have meaning. And... I've, I've seen countless studies right now. I actually wrote about it for my thesis. The researchers like... Nathan Mascaro and David Rosen, William Damon, they've posited that there's a great deal of suffering that comes from the lack of direction and aimlessness that seems to be prevalent in college students nowadays. And you're a curious type, and, and I think you're fascinated by people, and I'm sure you've spoken to tons of college students in that sort of place. And I, I know I have myself where they're just like, I wanna know what I should do with my life, and I have no idea, I don't know where to start. And it causes a lot of stress, you, you can really see it. So I'm wondering if, if there was some advice that you gleaned from hearing from all of these incredible people and how they found their purpose or their personal meaning. Uh, yeah, if you had any to hand over, that we could do a lot of good by, by talking about that. Sure. So the yeah, you guys would know more of the, the hardcore research on it and, and maybe the systemic ways to change this. But from an individual basis, I normally suggest using a practice or an idea called the zone of genius and i think Ooh. we were talking about this when we originally met a few years ago and you guys uh you know at, at penn were finding this pretty interesting but uh i would think of and, and if you have paper and pen you know pull it out and, and do this 
uh, with us, but think of making three circles in a Venn diagram. Uh, in one of them, you have your passions. And so I would just start listing out, you know, things you're really excited about or interested in. Uh, I'll get to, like, what to do if you don't know about what you're passionate about in a second. But in the second bubble, I would put your skills, you know, so what you think you're, you're good at or what you're objectively good at. And then in the third, I would put, like, what the market values or what problems are out there that you need, that you see need solving, uh, things like that. You know, from a more capitalistic standpoint, be like, you know, market opportunities. Um, at the center of that is your your zone of genius or uh, an articulation of a specific strength or skill that you can apply to a lot of different things and, and possibly find a purpose for yourself. So I actually just articulated mine uh, a second ago when I said that I bring people and ideas, to, you know, together to accomplish bigger things for society. Like right. that is that is literally the. It was zone of genius that I pulled out of this exercise back when I did it at 17 with a with a mentor of mine who taught me this, uh, and so it's really powerful because once you know that you can apply it to working with others, you can apply it to your own uh, skill sets and your own learning journey. Uh, you you kind of have a, a strength in mind. Uh, and how you know then you can find places on where to apply that strength and find a, a purpose for doing so. So I think it's a really powerful exercise. And if you don't know what you're passionate about, then I suggest going back to that first step uh, I was mentioning maybe 20 minutes ago you know, of experimentation and right. just try a bunch of things out. So if you've ever like you know for me I'm a huge basketball fan. Like I would like maybe. Uh, figure out different experiments in the basketball world to, to try out, like either shadowing a coach around for a day or going to uh, play around with the stats for uh, NBA games and figuring out like a career path that lines up with that. Uh, or otherwise just finding like short experiments that you can run without a ton of investment of time or capital to see if you're actually interested in those things. Uh, for skills, I would... Uh, there's a few books out there and uh, resources. One is the uh, Strengths Finders 2.0. I would take that. I would uh, take Clifton. Yeah, it's great. I would take a Colby A Index. Um, Kathy Colby's made that, and then uh, there's a book called Unique Ability that I would read. Um, but in Unique Ability, uh, it pretty much you know comes down to uh, like asking some peers of yours, some friends, mentors, etc., to like pair it back what they think uh, you're really good at. Because maybe you're blind to what you're good at or you like you keep your room clean but you don't necessarily consider that organizational ability as a skill. Uh, but if you ask others and you know 20 people get back to you and 10 say the same thing, that's something to look into, you know, further and, and kind of dive deeper into. But between Colby A is Strengths Finders and, and Unique Ability as a book, which states uh, that little practice of asking others. Like, I think you'll find more skills uh, if you don't know what you're really good at already. And then as far as market values, just look all around you and find problems in your community, find problems in society or in our economy. Uh, if you're in a particular industry, go find uh, some holes there. Uh, you can also kind of look at objectively you know what opportunities present the most upside whether it's 
like VR and that industry or artificial intelligence or you know maybe there's in a nonprofit world certain causes that should be getting more you know finances allocated to them or should be getting more attention but aren't you know that's kind of where all your market opportunities would go that's probably the easiest to to look at uh and then yeah look at look in the middle find some sort of one or two sentence zone of genius you could take out of it and, and start focusing on that and it could change you can always go back and do this exercise again and you should you know over time but uh, i found that to be a really powerful way to you know figure out what it is i should really be spending my time on and, and what sort of purpose i should have moving forward that's lovely i, I remember you'd written a bit about that in your conclusion and hey man the research backs you <laughs> diving fairly deep into this topic i came across something very similar i mean even if people wanted to pick up a book called was it are you fully charged by tom rack he has a picture of a venn diagram that's basically what are you interested in what are your strengths and what is it that the world needs because essentially that puts together something that would excite you because you know even if you're good at something and the world needs it i don't feel like you should suffer personally just drudging through life uh your strengths because you you want to play towards an area where you could probably do the most good personally with your own your unique setup and then contributing to the world is listed over and over again in the research is one of the most highly you know greatest way to find a sense of meaning in life and it, another thing i think that you were saying that i think is ridiculously important and is going to help a lot of people in that state definitely help me is just to, to act, to start doing. I think that there's a tendency when we're talking about something so highfalutin as like meaning in life or purpose, you, you wanna just sort of sit in an armchair and like think your way onto the truth, work top to bottom, and like have the answer so that then you can go out and achieve that. But the research shows that that's really not how people find their purpose in life or engage in a kind of job crafting. Instead, it's more bottom up where you go out and you try a wide range of different things with an open exploratory mindset and you, and you start piecing together like oh well you know i like to write that that's interesting to me and yeah like the the 360 interviewing maybe some people say like hey man i think you're a good writer so now you're starting to get on to what you like and what you're good at and maybe you have an interest in positive psychology also, and it turns out there's a great need for positive psychology in the world. And at that point, you've found something to at least go experiment with, as you were saying. You know, get out and start writing some articles, try and get better at it, see if it does some good, and see how it feels overall. And you might just find that elusive thing we're all looking for, which is a, a calling in life and a sense of meaning and purpose. Yeah, well said. Oh, thanks. Hey, all right. <laughs> Very cool, Jared. I try and be mindful of your time. If if there's any last words that you'd like to impart or, uh, you know, something that you'd wanted to promote, please feel free. Holler. Yeah, so uh, I think you're going to put up the book at thepsychologypodcast.com slash Jared. Is that where you're putting uh, it? That's exactly right. Yeah, we're going to try and set it up there. Um, there's, so check there's it like out. A, just yeah. just came out. I'm, I'm really pumped about it. We, we spent a lot of time, energy, Dolphinus making it for you. So uh, I would say go check that out, please. Uh, purchase a copy if you're so inclined. And, you know, if you found anything interesting, valuable, uh, or there's, you know, any questions remaining, uh, feel free to email me, uh, jared at 3billionunder30.com. 
Um, I actually didn't give you the third step to like achieving exponential impact, so I just want to touch on that super quickly. Uh, but the, fir- the first was like getting out of the traditional system. The second was out collaborating your competition. The third is to actually build your own distribution network for your ideas. Uh, so build up your social media following, build up an email list, build up a blog that you can share ideas with, or just build up some sort of influence in your community uh, or, or wherever you are, your industry, because then you don't have to rely on other people to actually share your strengths and share your impact with the world. Uh, it's becoming both increasingly easier easier to do and increasingly more meaningful to do because I would say distribution is becoming democratized. You know, it used to be where we had to go to a major pillar like a news channel to get information uh but then like the internet happened and now everyone can have a certain level of influence at a micro level or you know even at a macro level if you piece together enough of them so that actually gives you more leverage to both run more experiments and collaborate with more people because uh, if you know the biggest social media stars are doing collabs with other big social media stars or you know a uh, podcast guest wants to interview another, or a podcast host wants to interview another podcast host and share ideas with their audiences. So there's a lot of power that comes with building your own distribution, and it'd be a shame for all your hard work to not get out to the world. So there's your one, two, three, uh, just to complete it. But other than that, you know, check out the book. Email me with any questions, comments, feedback. I would love to to hear from you and know that any of this was well received or not well received. Uh, and that's just Jared at three billion under thirty dot com. Uh, book again for you know, Taylor is going to put it up at the psychology doc the psychology podcast dot com slash Jared. Right on. Uh, for my part, as the executive producer, I, I should say that we are going to post a link. We're trying to get some quick surveys about our demographics to hone our craft and improve the show for everybody we'll have that on the podcast notes it takes 10 seconds and it asks for your email address but you don't even need to put that in there it would be greatly appreciated and thank you in advance jared it has been magical talking to you man always a pleasure magical uh, wow i mean it's just true I, I i get positively energized chatting with you that's a good thing uh, yeah i think so cool well i mean you know i'll probably talk to you tomorrow and have a good day yeah thank you for this i really appreciate it always you well jared Thanks for listening to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. I hope you found this episode just as thought-provoking and interesting as I did. If you'd like to read the show notes for this episode or hear past episodes, you can visit thepsychologypodcast.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P dot 
Trinity.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 